everyone. Uh, in case you don't know, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Covenant. And so we have some unique instructions today. I'm going to dismiss kindergarten and first grade today. Um, second through fifth, you're with me. And um, I'm going to be yelling and all kind of things. I'm just kidding. Uh, second through fifth graders, I'm glad you guys are in here this morning. Um, here is the great thing about our father. He wants to speak to you today. And so you're given some crayons and a sheet, and as we open God's word, I want you to try to follow along with me as we open God's word, as we talk about this, draw a picture, write something down, ask God, God, what are you teaching me today, even as a second grader or a third grader or a fourth grader? Uh, God wants to meet with you today, and that includes all of us, adults in the room too. You might be here for just all kinds of reasons, right? Like you were just kind of tricked to being here, or you just kind of stumbled in here, and all these kind of things, right? Um, well, God wants to speak to us today, and uh, I, I am pretty excited to be here this morning. We're going to be in Matthew 6, if you want to turn there. We're going to be like Matthew 5 and 6 throughout the day today. Um, we're in the midst of this uh, above and beyond series, this above and beyond uh, initiative that really, is, it is a generosity initiative, but, but the hope, even it says on this thing right here, that we would grow in maturity. That means that we, as individuals, become more like Christ, that our, our faith family, we would really build a legacy that goes beyond us and our life. And last, we would expand our reach in the mission of God, that we'd be a platform to send out rescue. And uh, me and Luke and Jamie and our entire staff have spent really the past few months praying over this series, over this next season of life for our church. Uh, God blessed us with like having half this land donated to us, uh, just all these cool things happening. And then through this series, you know, we have never done an initiative like this before where we're trying to raise money to possibly build something. This is Kind of, new, kind of dipping our toe in the water a little bit, like, well, what are we doing here? And we sat and we prayed, and here's what we prayed for, that this, after we're done with this, we would see God do some things that we can't really explain. Not about money, that's a part of it, but not about, about money, but about this idea of risking obeying God. And I just want to tell you guys, in this past month, I, I've had people come and tell me they feel like God is sending them to plant a church in our body. I've had families tell me they're ready to go overseas and adopt. I've had families tell me they want to start a missional community in their neighborhood. I've had people want to come into the ministry. We've seen all these things happen in the past month, this like tangible answer of prayer. And God is at work. So I think the thing is, here's the deal. About two years ago, uh, COVID hit, right? Whenever Tom Hanks got sick is when it started. And so that's the dividing line for all of us. When Woody got sick, we knew it was bad. Uh, Buzz didn't get sick, I don't think, but Woody did. And so it's a different story. Anyway, sorry. Um, when that happened, like there's this sense like I have talked to a lot of you this week, a lot of our leaders especially, and everybody's just really tired. Like in my household, this month or this year, we have had COVID, flu, strep, and the shingles. And... Um, 
I'm like, what more? I'm like Job this year. And so I'm like, what more can happen? That's a little far. That's a little far. Um, what more can happen? You know, and, I, and like, I'm just like tired. And, and me and Luke are talking this week and we're like, man, like our budgets are out of order in our life. Our schedules are kind of crazy. It all just kind of feels scattered, right? Just feels kind of crazy. But here's the hope. There's this sense that like a spring is coming, Right? Like, it's been kind of warm this week. You kind of feel like a new season starting. And here's my hope as, we, as we're doing this initiative, as we're moving forward as a church, that our lives would matter. That the sum total of our lives would lead to people meeting Jesus, would lead to our kids one day being sent out in ministry, would lead to our community looking more like God's kingdom here on earth that we as a people would live above and beyond lives. But if you are like me, and I know you are, many times our lives and our intentions do not line up, do they? We intend to lose lots of weight, but our lives love Doritos. We, <laughs> you know you do, Seth, you love Doritos. We intend to reach out to our neighbor, right? But we get home and we are tired and we shut our garage. We intend to memorize God's word, but we binge Netflix, right? Many times our intentions and our lives do not line up. But hear this, your life, my life, our life is made up of moments, of purchases, of stories, of struggles, of victories. It's all these things that our life is made up of. And the question I want to answer today is this right here. How do we steward this life? You were given this life by a creator God to steward, maybe another word, to manage this life. How are you going to manage the life and the things and the people and the talents that God has given you? So we hear this, this word stewardship, and we go right to money. And listen, money is a part of stewardship. And hear this. Just go ahead and buckle in. I'm going to preach on money today. We good? All right. Yes, let's do it. Um, that's going to happen. It's a part of stewardship. But also, your life, it's a lot more than just money that we're called to steward. Listen, um, even as I was preparing today, I had like, at first I had five things I was going to talk on. Went down to four today. There's like ten things. There's like, you have a story in your life, a testimony that God has done in your life that you're called to steward. You have thoughts in your brain every single day you are called to steward. You have relationships with people in your life that you are called to steward. You have all these things today to steward. But I want about four things today. In this verse in Matthew 6, it's one of our verses we probably know. If you've been in church at all, you've heard this verse. Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be provided for you. We've got water here today. Golly, man, we are a blessed church. This is new for us. We've got water up here. That's right. Clap for that. That's good. Um, listen, I, I believe most of us in this room, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're walking with God on some level, in the deepest of your soul and your heart, you do want to seek his kingdom first. 
Like on your deathbed, you hope his kingdom was first in your life. But here's what happens. The wave and the current of the culture of this world has just like enveloped us, right? You ever been at the beach and like you're caught by one of those waves? You just cannot get up. Many times the everyday, day in, moment by moment culture has overwhelmed us. And culture is stewarding our lives for us and not his kingdom first. And so for us today, we have to ask this question. Am I seeking his kingdom first functionally, intentionally, not ideally, right? Here's the issue. God has given us things to steward. But instead of stewarding, we are seeking these things first, right? We're called to steward our time. We're called to steward our money. We're called to steward our stuff, right? We're called to do those things. But the problem is that we're out of order. We seek these things first. We pursue these things first. We want these things first. And then God's kingdom gets the crumbs. So we're going to look at these four different kingdom currencies. The first we're going to look at today is our talents. That God has given us talents to steward. Here's the good news. You are good at something in this world. You are. God has wired you specifically to do something good for him and for his kingdom. And that's one of the greatest honors we have in this world, isn't it? So how do we seek first with our talents? Listen, when we are seeking ourselves first, we use our talents to bring us glory. When we are seeking ourselves first, we use our talents to make us look good. Right? This is the guy in basketball who only shoots. He never passes, all the fancy dribbling, all these kind of things, and never passes, has 40 points, but loses every single game, right? It's always about them. It's the person who does one good thing and posts it all over social media. Instagram, Napster, MySpace, Facebook, Twitter. We all know you serve the homeless. Congratulations. Like it's that thing where we want everyone to see our good works, how good we are. The issue with this poor stewardship of our talents is that we forget where our talents come from and how we actually use them. We forget the source. Romans 12. Paul says this. He says, For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly. As God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. To each person, he's given us something. Now, as we have many parts in one body, so if you are a follower of Jesus, that means you're a part of the body of Christ. You have a role to play. But hear this, you are not the superstar. Luke is not the superstar. He is fulfilling his role. It's like a really good knee is what he is. And so we all have a role to play in this. In the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually, individually members of one another, according to the grace given to us. We have different gifts. 
we have different talents. The reality of your talents and your gifts is that they are from God and they are for God. They are from God and they are for God. So, you know, as you get older, as I get older, let me put it that way. I am now 41 years old. Is that right? 41? I'm 41. I'm 40. That's right. I'm 40. That's right. Um, Sorry. We're arguing on stage. And so um, uh, I'm 40 years old. (laughs) Thank you, Tracy. Um, See, when you get old, you forget things. And uh, you also lose hair. And and, um, the thing about getting older is you start to learn who you are more and more, right? And you also learn what you're not good at more and more. And so here is what I am good at, is I am good at encouraging people and like organizing things. That might be it actually. And so uh, as far as my talents and strengths, but you know what? God can use those things for great purposes. But here's the key. I did not develop this encouragement gift. God gave it to me. I did not create it. I did not willpower it. I did not make it. It is purely a gift from God. So if if I have any pride in that, I've become foolish. The same is true for your gifts. God has gifted you. Uh, The problem is many times we become prideful in our gifts, right? And let our gifts kind of lead us instead of the fact that God gave us these gifts. This awesome is there are things that you see and you are passionate about that no one else sees. Because you have this gift, you always see these things, especially in a body of people. So if you have the gift of hospitality, you're always just seeing the person who is not connected. And you want to invite them and welcome them in. And you're always, in a sense, frustrated with those who aren't like you, who don't have your gifts, right? This is the beauty of the body of Christ, is that we all have these different parts, different gifts, to come together and create something beautiful, which is the church. Here is the heart check for us with our gifts. When we live in gratitude of the gifts and talents God has given us, then we're not overly concerned with the gifts and talents of others. So we tend to go two ways with this. Either we're very like prideful and judgmental of others and their gifts, or we're jealous of their gifts, right? Well, they're always up front. They're always seen. They're always these things happening, right? But how do we use these talents? How do we use these gifts? How do we steward these things, right? Back to Matthew 6, verse 1. In this great Sermon on the Mount, right, Jesus kind of gives us this total picture of how to live a life in his kingdom. Verse 1, he says this, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. Now listen, this verse does not speak to the entirety of how we use our talents, which we use those to build up the body, right, and to display his kingdom. But it does speak to the essence of how we use our talents. We use them in secret. And this is where we're extremely countercultural. We are different than the rest of the world because Jesus' people love and serve others for nothing in return but simply to honor our Father. And I'll I'll confess this freely to you guys. I am terrible at this. I want you to know, especially my wife, when I do good things, right? 
I finally to slip it in. Yeah, I, I spent hours with them today. I love them, encourage them. Did you know I did that? We love doing those things. When we do those things, we lose something precious. We lose this connection with the Father. We lose walking in this different kind of life. We lose walking in the ways of the kingdom and the King Jesus. So here is the, here is the practice for us this week. Is we think through how do we steward our talents. It's one thing. Serve others without anyone knowing. If you want to steward your gifts, steward your talents, use that gift and serve someone else and tell nobody. Serve others and let no one else know about it. As you steward this, as you do this, here's what happens. You become more like Jesus. You become more like Jesus. But we have more. We don't just steward our talents. We must also seek first by stewarding our trials. We're getting into deeper waters now, guys. This is going to be fun. So how do you know if you're seeking yourself first in a trial? Well, I'll say this lightly. We avoid the trial. We rush through the trial. Or we walk in the trial in self-pity. We avoid it. It's me. Avoid all pain. Avoid all discomfort. Or if we're stuck in that, we rush through it. And if those don't work, we just sit in self-pity. Oh, what is happening? And I will tell you, I fully understand it. Listen, we live in a world where comfort and ease and lack of pain is king. Every commercial shown to us is how to live a pain-free life, isn't it? How to live the easiest life possible. Now we talk to our TVs because the remote was too much work. We are promised a pain-free existence. We have no framework for suffering in our world today. And this is seeped into the church. And what happens is this kind of like prosperity theology almost. Where we expect if we follow God, only good things should follow. And the problem with that is just like the, the Bible and the life of Jesus, his life was not a bed of roses. And so we have no framework. And so what happens when we suffer, what do we do? What do you do? What do I do when we suffer, when it gets hard? We cope, right? We get out the pacifier, the passy, right? Uh, oh, the passy of TV. I'm going to binge watch this. Ah, that pass, I don't like the pass, I don't want the pass right Oh, social media passy. Oh, social media, that's a good passy. I like that passy. Oh, that's not good anymore. That's annoying. Oh, I want to buy something. I'm going to debt. Oh, that's a good pass. Oh, yeah, that, oh, that, I'm not feeling that anymore. And as we go deeper and deeper, and then sometimes we, we end up being a, addicted to things that harm us, right? Because life is hard. If your life is easy today, praise God for that. But listen, hard times are coming. Hard times are coming, but God is faithful in the hard times. And so I will tell you, the passies of this world will never, ever give you hope and get you through the trials. See, we see trials as something to get through or to numb through or to avoid altogether. But that's not God's plan for us. 
Our trials are there for us to steward. Our trials are there because God wants to do something inside of us and through us through the trial. Many times, the only way we change is through suffering. Scripture says that suffering is a gift. I do not say that lightly. I have counseled many of you in this room walking through trials and suffering. So I don't say that with any lightness at all. But it's true in my life, it's true in Scripture, it's true in your life. The only way is many times you will become more like Christ is through trials and sufferings. Even in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about this, right? He said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. He's saying this, expect the hard to come. We say, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, right? But we avoid, we avoid mourning. We avoid the hardness. And when that happens, we never get the beautiful picture of Jesus getting down on his hands and knees and comforting us through the hard. There are times that we meet Jesus in a special way through the hardest times of life. But if we avoid those things, or if we numb those things, we don't let Jesus provide what he wants to provide, which is himself. See, James speaks to how we should steward our trials. James 1, verse 2, he says, consider it a great joy. Let me stop right there. Just a loving piece of advice is one of your pastors. If someone is telling you about a really hard thing in their life, don't quote this right away. <laughs> Just don't. You know what you do? You listen. You listen, you cry, and you hug. And just shut up. I mean, be quiet. Sorry, kids. Be quiet. We don't use that word. Just be quiet. Just be quiet. <laughs> I'm in trouble now with my kids. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let in, listen to this. Let endurance have its full effect. You ever been in like physical therapy, like you broke your, your leg or your arm or your finger or something, I don't know. And like if you only do it halfway, then your leg's only halfway fixed, right? This is how endurance works in the midst of a trial. If we numb it, if we avoid it, it does not have its full effect. Hear this, friends. Do not waste the trial. Do not waste the suffering. Let it have its full effect so that, this is so good. You may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. It's hard to hear, isn't it? But don't shortcut through the trial. Don't shortcut through it. i got to keep going. Here's three don'ts when you walk in suffering. Three don'ts. First, don't avoid. Don't avoid. Hear this, friends. Don't run from hard things. If God is calling you to something and you know it's hard, if God is calling you to adopt, you know it's hard. Don't run from the hard. In our household, is it hard things can be good things. Hard things can be good things. Don't run from the hard. God works in the midst of the hard. Second, don't numb. This is so hard for me. This is so hard for me. Don't numb. When life is hard, what do you want to do? I want to check out, don't you? Don't you want to check out? You want to find the things that make it easier to check out. And here's the thing. Every one of us has a different passy here, don't we? 
I don't know what yours is. I don't. I don't. But hear this. It will not provide what the world says it will provide. Do not numb. Three, don't wallow. Don't wallow. That does not mean you can't lament. Does not mean you cannot cry. But when we, when we, there's a fine line here. It's the woe is me is what it really is. It's the no one else has ever gone through hard before. That's when we know we're, we're starting to wallow in this. I, I want you to lament. Cry out. Listen, God can handle your cries. I promise you that. He can handle those. Cry out to him. Cry out to brothers and sisters in Christ. Cry all the tears. Ask God why. That's fine. He's your father who wants to talk with you and deal with you. But hear this, friends. Do not wallow. Do not wallow. That's my three don'ts. Here's our three do's. Not just negative, I promise. Three do's. First, and you're, if you're in the midst of it right now, and if you're breathing, you're probably in the midst of some kind of trial right now. First, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Here's why. Here is the beauty of our faith is that we don't serve a God who does not understand. My Jesus knows exactly how I feel because he was persecuted. He was lied to. He was forgotten. He was abused. He was spat upon. So when I come to him, his ear, his heart, it understands my hurts. So look to Jesus. Second, look to others. You need the testimony of faithful saints. You need to read biographies. You need to listen to stories. You need to hear things that remind you the great martyrs of our faith, right? That it's possible for a human to walk through suffering and still love Jesus. We need those stories of faith. Three, look to glory. Look to glory. There are some things in this world, this world, this life will never be heaven. There will always be sin. There will always be disappointment. There will always be not enough, right? So in the midst of our suffering, we must look to glory. Because one day, hear this, friends, one day there will be no more tears, amen? One day there will be no more sickness, amen? One day there will be no more abuse. There will be love, and there will be at the center of this our Savior that we live in peace and worship. So there's some days all we can do is look to the future. And we hope. And we wait with great expectation. Don't waste your trials. Steward your trials. So that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So I know we're kind of already in the heavy, but about to get a little heavier. Because the third thing we steward is our treasure. How do we steward our treasures? How do we know that we're seeking the wrong things first with our money? It's this. It's when we seek security and comfort for our money and our stuff. When we are seeking the things that God provides through our resources and our stuff, we know that we're off. I will say this, the love 
and the security of money. That, I think, might be the, the, the biggest gospel message in America today. Wouldn't you agree with that? That as a culture in secular America, which we have to admit, sometimes we dabble in, right? That the overriding message is this right here, is that money cures all. It's this thought that if you had this much money, it would all be okay, right? John Comer says this, shopping is now the number one leisure activity in America, usurping the place previously held by religion. Amazon.com is the new temple. The visa statement is the new altar. Double clicking is the new liturgy. Lifestyle bloggers, the priests and priestesses. Money is the new God. That's terrible. <laughs> it's so convicting. And Jesus, friends, talks a lot about money. You know, you get this rabbit, the preacher, all y'all do is talk about money. And I get it. I have seen the abuses. I have been <laughs> in the abuses. <laughs> so I get it. But here, here's the real issue is that uh, my Savior, uh, my King, our Savior, our King, he talks about this a lot. Actually, in this sermon here, he talks about this. Matthew 6, verse 19. And he does not mince words when it comes to money. <laughs> he says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. We could read that and just go home, couldn't we? Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Basically, don't invest all of your life into things that get old and can be taken from you. So about six years ago, seven years ago, uh, we had a fire at our townhouse. And we lost most of our stuff. And here's what I realized. Uh, most of my stuff is from Target. It doesn't matter. I, I mean that. I like... Like, we got, like, the keepsake stuff, the baby blankets. We got all those things. That's great. But most of our stuff is just, it's just stuff. But our stuff tends to have a hold on us, doesn't it? Man. He's saying here, put your life into things that last. Things that last are really things that involve your relationship with God and his kingdom. Where you put uh, your resources you put your heart. It's the steering wheel of your desires. Where you put your resources is where you put your heart. Quite simply, our bank statements many times show what we love. Verse 22, same passage. He keeps going here. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy... Your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? Jesus, what are you talking about here? What, is the, what does eyesight have to do with money? But see, in the day of Jesus, if people said you had a healthy eye, it had a double meaning. It meant this. First, you were focused and living with a high degree of intentionality in your life. And second, you were generous to the poor. 
when you looked at the world, you saw those in need and did your best to help out. An unhealthy eye was the exact opposite. That means when you looked out in the world, you were distracted by all the glitters, all the stuff of the world. So in the language of Jesus, how is your eyesight today? And I say that with as much humility and conviction as I can say it with, because um, you know, my boys uh, wear glasses now, and I have never worn glasses. Uh, great eyesight, thank you, God. And um, you know, you put your kids, you put glasses on, you know, and you put, take them off. There is a way to see the world. I just have this image in my head of we have these glasses on, and it's just these kingdom glasses. And we see this world through, through, through God's eyes, right? And we have these glasses on. We see things differently. We see those that are forgotten around us. We see those that are hurting around us. And we see our money as a tool to invest and help others and not consume and please ourselves. But too many times I put on the glasses of the world, Right? It's these glasses, when I see them, all I see is the things that I want and don't have. And I think if I just had that, if we had a little bigger house, a little nicer car, a little more security in retirement, right? With, with these glasses, and friends, I just mean this with all my heart. We wear these glasses too much, don't we? And I, can I just say this? The, the, the lie the glasses sell are not true, are they? Have you bought that house before and you get in and you love it and six months later it's just a house? Have you bought the new phone, gotten the new jacket? Mine's a little stranger and less cool. I like bags. I know that sounds so terrible. Um, like, you know, like a computer bag. I have like 12 under our bed, don't I, Tracy? I have literally our, under our bed, nothing else goes except for my old bags. Because I, I ha, and I, I've got a bag for like two years, and guess what? I want another bag. It never ends, does it? And the propaganda, I'm going to stop calling it commercials and advertising. The propaganda of this world says you need more and you need it now and go into debt to get it, right? And it never satisfies. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. Here it comes, friends. You cannot serve both God and money. He says cannot, not should not. He says cannot, not should not. You cannot live in the freedom of Jesus and get sucked into overconsumption that is normal today. You have to choose. You have to choose. And what's on the line here is freedom in Christ for the benefit of others. You have to choose. I have to choose. Verse 25. Therefore, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. This is the clincher. Therefore is the key. Jesus connects money and stuff to worry. 
he has this connection here. And here's the thing. We worry about what we worship. We worry about what we worship. And if you worship money, it will eat you alive. So me and Trace were talking the other day, and she was asking about getting some picture frame with a, with a verse on there for our house. Like, what would you want? And I told her th- this passage right here, actually. Because underneath me, and I put on a good front, I live with a lot of worry. And there's a whole host of reasons for that. But many times um, I live with this sense of worry. So last December, we had this outrageous goal for $100,000 for uh, the Christmas offering. And um, I lost hair because of that offering. I was worried about it. Like, true, ask Tracy, I was worried about this. I worry, like, what's going to happen next? I have that worry. And I will tell you, this is just true. Worry over money, worship over money, it will eat you alive, friends. Let's keep going to verse 26. We're just going to read this, let it wash over us. Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Amen? Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, won't, be, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? For the Gentiles seek these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Let it wash over us today. When you see the birds in the air, the grass in the field, God takes care of those things and lavishes those things. How much more will he take care of us? Friends, hear this today. And I know some of us in this room, money is tight for people in this room, for some of us. God will take care of you. We have freedom to not worry. And here's the goal. As far as stewarding, there's one word I want to tell you today. As far as stewarding money. Here's the word. Contentment. It's contentment. We were at a church planting event this week in Arizona, and a a guy challenged a room full of pastors and planters and asked them, are you content with what God has given you? What's the number you need to be content, he said. And being content means this. It means we are living a simple, intentional, and rested life in him. The life of the birds, right? You're just flying around, loving others, helping others, because you know, you know, God's going to bring the food. He's going to give me a house or shelter. He's going to give me some clothes. He's going to take care of me. So I am now free. I am free. Friends, if you're in Christ, you are free. You're free. So here's four principles I want to put on us as far as our money goes. Four contentment principles. This is very practical. First, going Dave Ramsey now, live on a budget. <laughs> Get out the envelopes. Um, that's an 
inside Dave Ramsey joke, if you didn't know that. And so, um, uh, live on a budget. Quite simply, um, be intentional with your money. What does it say? Tell your money where it should go. Live on a budget. And listen, this is one of the things, if you need help with any of these things, we want to partner with you to help you walk in freedom over this thing that entangles so many of us. So first, live on a budget. Second, live on less. Live on less. This is a few things you got to do to do this. You have to, no last minute purchases, right? Like you just want to get this now, so you go and get it, right? This means that um, if it's still working, still use it. This means you eat at home. We don't eat out so much. We, we must live on less. Three, uh, live debt-free. I am not debt-free, so I'm not saying that as like someone who's arrived. Uh, but I believe um, a, as a Christian, as someone who wants to walk in freedom, we should move towards living a debt-free life as much as possible. That we're not entangled to things that hold us back. And fourth, live sacrificially. It's not our money. It's not your money, it's not my money, it's God's money. One of the greatest joys we get in this world is to bless others. Isn't it? One of the greatest joys in this world is to bless others. Listen, um, as we talk about money, as I was writing all this down, I was like, I don't write this down. <laughs> this is overwhelming, uh, it's convicting. Um, here's what I want to tell you this is a safe place to not have arrived. It is. It's a safe place to be maxed out in debt, trying to figure, it's a safe place to take your first step. And this is why our last kind of point today is looking at time and how we steward our time. Here is what we tend to do with, with time. Two things. We rush, we regret, don't we? We just rush through life. We rush through the day, rush through the dinner, rush through the bath time, rush through everything. And then we look back and what do we do? We regret. Look at Matthew 6 and how Jesus talks about time here. In, in verse 34, he says, Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Because tomorrow will worry about itself. Amen. <laughs> Each day has enough trouble of its own. That is so stinking true. <laughs> and, and Paul says this in Ephesians 5, pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, uh, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. He's saying because the days are short, because the days are running out. But the thing about the Christian life, uh, the Christian life, hear this, is a one-day-at-a-time kind of life. Remember manna? It expired what? Every day. How about the deadline on anger? Sundown. When are God's mercies made new? Every morning. How often are we told to take up our crosses? Every single day. When are we told to rejoice and be glad? Today. This 24-hour rule is everywhere throughout Scripture and life. The best and wisest way to live and steward our time is to live is to do it day by day. Or this phrase I've heard, day tight compartments. That you live for today. You don't worry about tomorrow. 
or fret over the past, because the past is covered by Christ, but you live today. Mark Byerson says this, we're paralyzed by things we cannot change, the past. We're crippled by things we cannot control, the future. The solution, the age-old advice that is as good a place to start as any, let go of dead yesterdays and unborn tomorrows. If you're like me, you probably have this list of regrets on how you spend your time. If we just kind of plopped out a, a recap of our weeks this week, I can't imagine we'd all be proud of our results in this room, right? We'd have some regrets. Too much TV, social media, too much work, maybe too much anger, too much fear, too much sinning. All those things are there. And that regret many times leads to anxiety for tomorrow. We live lives where we constantly feel like we're behind. Do you feel that way? We just feel like you're behind on all the things. But here is our hope. We confess our sins to a loving father and we win today. We let go of the past failures. We trust in God for the future and we live today. We confess, listen, I, blew, I, I am not saying look past or look over your, I'm not saying that. But too many times we let the shame of our past control our present. We have to give those things to God, confess those, accept healing, and live today. I promise you, if we steward our time in this kind of way, in day-tight compartments, that if we focus on being faithful today, we focus on inputs and not just outputs. When I say inputs, here's what I mean. We focus on walking and abiding with God today and let God do his work today. If we do this, I promise, I believe, we'll look up in 20 years and be amazed at all that God has accomplished. Be amazed. What's the phrase you heard before that we overestimate what we can do in the short run, right? We think, okay, this week I'm going to change the world, right? We think that and we underestimate what a faithful day in, faithful day out, every single day can do in five years. Hear this, friends. We, you can change the world around you by being faithful today and tomorrow and the next day. And this kind of leads to kind of our closing today and how we actually, if we want to seek him first, what does that really look like? Well, it lies at the heart of this Sermon on the Mount, right? And we see this in Matthew 6, 5. This is one of, the, one of the few times in Jesus' ministry when he's pretty black and white and just tells people how you, he says this, whenever you pray, not if you pray, but whenever you pray, do it like this. And, and we're not going to get into today how to pray. That's not today's sermon. But it is kind of like our ending point today. And here's what I mean. If you're if you're kind of like me and you hear a sermon like this, 
we kind of feel like a failure at all these different currencies, don't we? <laughs> like, we just do. Like, when I have a trial, I whine like the biggest baby in the world. Uh, my budget, or my bank account, my budget's fine. <laughs> my, my bank statement is convicting. I waste too much time on silly things. This is a convicting and humbling sermon. And listen, we can start a new habit. Like, if you just, like, got a bunch of that, that'd be a good thing. And I would applaud that. But here's what we really need. We need a heart to seek him first. We, we need a heart that continually seeks him first. Quite frankly, church, what we need, <coughs> excuse me, is a heart of prayer is a heart of seeking him first every single day. And this only happens in prayer. So as a part of this new initiative for Above and Beyond, and this is kind of the centerpiece of this initiative, is to launch this prayer initiative. And there's going to be three parts of this that I am asking us, the church, to do. I am asking you to do, to partner with us together, to lock arms, right? We want to grow maturity we want to build a real legacy, and we want to expand the reach of the kingdom here in Bossier City, right? That's our hope as a people. Well, our first step, most important, this might be the whole ball game right here, is to develop a rhythm and a heart for prayer, to truly seek him first with everything. And so here are the baby steps we're asking you to take with us. Number one, first, set your alarms and pray every day at 3.07. This is based on Ezekiel 37 where he prayed for dry bones to come to life. And so I want to ask you, 3.07 p.m., you're fine, you can sleep, 3.07 p.m. to join us every day as the people of God here at Covenant Bozier, whatever we are, at Covenant Church, that we're going to pray together that God would do only things that he can do, which is bring dead bones to life, to bring your tired bones to life to bring your neighbor's bones to life, to bring dead bones to life. I want to ask you, implore you to join us in prayer every day at 3.07 p.m. Second, to join us as we fast breakfast and lunch on Mondays. This is going to be a little bit harder right here. This is kind of like deeper waters, but to fast breakfast and lunch. And as you're, and I promise you, um, you're going to feel the hunger pains. As you feel those pains, let it remind you of your true hunger, which is God. Uh, your true need, which is him. Join us in fasting every, day, every Monday, breakfast and lunch. And third, every Sunday at 9 a.m., we gather in that library for prayer. And here is um, my crazy wish, is that that library would be too small for our, gather, our prayer gathering. You don't have to pray out loud. I'm not saying that. Just join us in prayer. There is something supernatural that happens when we pray together. Friends, we seek him first by learning to have a practice and a heart of prayer. So if you feel conviction about the way you spend your money, the way you spend your time, the way you walk through trials, the way you use your gifts and talents, your first step today is to seek him first through prayer. 
And as you develop a heart of prayer, I promise you it will change your heart, it will change what you love, and it will change how you live. Too many times we want to change the outputs, but not the inputs, right? But the inputs is what leads to a changed life. It's from the inside, it's from the out. So we're going to start today. Um, we're going to start today with, we're going to have communion here in a few moments. And we're going to start today, uh, we're going to stop and fill in the guys. We're going to play uh, behind us softly. And I, I want to encourage you to confess your yesterdays to God. To confess um, how you've bought too many bags. <laughs> to confess how you avoid the hard things in life. To confess how you use your gifts to benefit you and not the church. Confess those to God. Here's why. He is a loving Father who sees all the mess in your life. And He is not running from you, He's running to you today. And I know that because He ran to me. And there are so many stories in this room of, them, of people in this room sinning terribly. Like we're, we are a messed up group in this room, amen? And God, what did he do? He ran after us. And we know that through the life of Jesus. Because he died on the cross for messed up sinners like me and you. So come to him this morning. Come to him. He will do good things. I promise you that. So we're going to practice. We're going to confess today. Uh, we're going to pray today. And we're going remember to remember today through communion what God has done for us. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, thank you for um, all that you have done all that you have done today. And Father, I ask that you keep working right now. That as there are those in this room um, that feel the weight of conviction of their life. <laughs> so we can all say amen to that. As we feel this weight of conviction, we also fear, we, we feel the kindness of your spirit leading us to repentance. So don't let us just sit in conviction. Let us turn to hope. Let us turn to you today, Father. And remind tired and worn out sinners today, Father, that you love us. And let us come to you. So, Father, move in hearts right now, Lord. Let us honor you with confession, with repentance. Let us turn to you and worship you in spirit and in truth. And let us live and steward and manage our lives in a way that honors you, in a way that brings us freedom, and in a way that benefits the world around us. But most of all, Father, help us keep our eyes fixed on you. You're a good, good Father. We love you. We pray all this in your name. Amen. We're going to have now time to have communion. Um, if you are, um, this is for people that are, you don't have to go to our church to be part of this, but you do have to be a follower of Jesus. Um, and so what you do, you just take the little things, you can go to your seat and just kind of take when you're ready. But I would encourage you, sit with God for a moment. Uh, talk to him. If you just want to pray with, we'll be in the back to pray with you. Um, but please come when you're ready.